Hello and welcome to A Glimpse into the Future. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos and in this podcast series we explore with some of the world's leading experts how new technologies and ideas can help us shape our future. In this week's episode, my colleague Espen Melum talks with the co-chairs of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Future of Energy, Catherine Hamilton, Director of the Project for Clean Energy and Innovation, and Jeroen van der Veer, Chairman of the Supervisory Board in the ING Group. Jeroen van der Weer and Catherine Hamilton, you're co-chairing the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on Energy. Welcome to this, this interview. Uh, Jeroen, to, to kick us off, can you tell us what is really the Council's uh, vision of the future of energy? Uh, if I say it very short, and we look at the coming 30 years, and one looks at the energy mix, then coal uh, for power generation will go down a lot. The market share for oil, will probably half from its peak. Then, of course, renewables, solar and wind will go up. Nuclear, we don't know. And gas, natural gas, will be at least a uh, transition fuel. Now, that, that is, in short, the 30-year picture. Thank you. Uh, Catherine, would you like to, to complement that, or you agree with the vision? Yes, definitely. We've all agreed that we need to go to a low emission future and stay below two degrees centigrade. So I think all of those points that Jeroen made were really important. Excellent. Uh, what types of policies do you think uh, will get us there, knowing that the, the policy element is very important for transition? So our council looked across many consensus policies and brought our own experiences to the table. We came up with a few key points. One is that we need integrated policy frameworks so that we really have long-term cross-sectoral vision and stable policy because stable policy creates certainty for investments. We need smart subsidies, uh, and that means subsidies that are efficient and are targeted to the right technologies that you want to incentivize, and carbon pricing being one of the key key subsidies supporting innovation, deep energy efficiency, making sure that we have smart electricity market design, and then also ensuring sustainable finance and disclosure so that companies disclose financial risks related to the effects of climate. And and that ensures that the transition is bought into by the corporate community as well. Yeah, thank you, that's uh, that's very clear. Uh, It's of course a question of how these policies can become reality. I don't know if Jeroen, you want to comment on what does it really take for these policies to be, become reality? And, and Catherine, what, what's your view on that as well? Now, what's helpful is that a lot, a lot of governments or people out of the energy industry, they, have, they take out on one policy, but in fact it needs integrated policies. You need to have a kind of total view, or we sat in Shell, a helicopter view, to look at all the policies and then to agree where, what to do first and what to do later. Yeah, we really do need to think of this as part of the system of the future of energy and all those systems that energy touches and ensure that policies are consistent to drive investment. And that's tricky because every country has different policies and different frameworks. May I ask you as well, uh, Catherine, you have a lot of experience from the electricity sector and knowing that one of the mega challenges here is uh, providing broader energy access. Uh, There's more than a billion people they don't have access to electricity and modern energy today. What's your view on how this can be improved? It's a great question because developing countries bring with them serious risk for investors. So in order to de-risk those, those markets, we need to make sure that 
policies are put into place that are consistent, that there are pub strong public-private partnerships to ensure those sustained policies, and that we also are able to replicate those projects and case studies that have worked, and how do we replicate those and make sure that we can that, that countries can benefit from the learnings of each other. We also need to think about what are the problems we have to solve. So what are we trying to get at? Are we trying to simply get at systems that give everybody an ability to charge a cell phone? So is that something that's just rooftop solar? Or are we looking at manufacturing and, and industrial base for economic growth? And that requires a whole different set of answers to the question. Yeah. And do you see some new models coming uh, uh, stream, or is this, we're still struggling to to make some progress? I think some countries are moving faster than others, and I think the key here is for us to work together on this and learn from each other. Emerging markets like India and China and Kenya have taken strong policy positions to direct investment toward innovation and to really grow those markets. There's a lot of talk about the transition away from fossil fuels, coal, oil, and, and gas. Jeronia, you are well placed to comment on this. You've been the CEO of Shell, and yeah. And they know the, the industry very well. What, what's your thoughts around the transition uh, from, from fossil fuels uh, and can it be done smoothly or not? Now, the, the energy transition is taking place. But you talk the total energy system in the world, if you take energy and any, and let's say, indirect related industries uh, to produce that energy, probably you come close to 10% of the GDP in the world. So that means that you can't transition that, say, in five years or ten years. It may take, we don't know exactly, but it may take, say, 30 years or 40 years. Then a lot of people think if it takes that long, the energy transition away from fossils uh, to, to low or no carbon will go smoothly. We are not so sure by that. It may be a tsunami. Um, uh, why, why is that? That is not the supply side from the fossil fuels, but very much the demand side. So suppose that, that you have some big breakthroughs for batteries, for electricity cars, and we find ways to use the existing grids in a more optimal way, then suddenly the, the, the elect electricity vehicles may uh, take off much faster than people expect uh, until so far. And, and so that, that may mean that demand will drop. Now, not all oil is used to make benzene or diesel for cars, but you have nearly everywhere you have examples that it can go uh, not as smooth as people expect. We heard here in Davos uh, yesterday that actually the share of fossil fuels and energy mix is stable at 81% uh, over the last uh, 30 years. Are you optimistic that uh, actually something can, uh, can change here, which is yeah. It's certainly needed to meet the climate uh, yeah. commitments. The fossil fuels, the point that was made is that fossil fuels are still 81% of the total energy mix, and that is the same for 30 years. You have to realize that the amount of energy that the world uses is a lot more than, than 30 years ago. So as say, say roughly, it is about the total consumption of energy has doubled. So you can say, yeah, both has grown, I think the difference now for the energy transition is, yes, the total energy market will still go up. So maybe in 30 years, we don't know exactly, but say 70% more as today. But the, the market share, we really expect that the market share, especially of coal and oil, both will go down. And natural gas may stay the same. On the other hand, 
this is this back to this remark of is will it be smooth or a tsunami? Smooth is probably you have still quite some fossil fuel demand in 30 years from now. And the tsunami case, huh, then there was a, probably a steeper decline and to lower levels. But, but we don't know. Catherine, uh, we heard a lot about uh, the fractured world and, and people are at the center of, of, a, of a fractured world or, or, or not. Uh, what, what's your view of um, the role of consumers and, and people in the, in the future of the energy system? And uh, what are the implications of that? This is a topic about which I have a great deal of passion because of what's happened in the U.S. with industries that are phasing out, like the coal industry and all of those workers that are being displaced and you know, had very good long-term jobs with good retirement plans and find themselves now without jobs. So how do we move those people into new industries? For example, in West Virginia, they're looking at how do we create jobs in not just clean energy, like solar and wind, which would be great jobs as well, but also how do we increase cultural opportunities, whether it's arts and education and tourism. And I think we have to consider humans as we move forward with this transition because it will affect them. The other way it affects humans is is simply because consumers are becoming so much more a part of the equation on energy. Because innovation is much more democratized and much more diffused and distributed, consumers are able to engage and make choices in their lifestyle that really impact how, what the supply looks like for energy and when we need it and where we need it. So humans can impact, are impacted both by the way the industry is transitioning and needing to bring people along to new industries, but also in the way that they can really participate more in clean energy. And do you think this uh, more decentralized uh, solutions where centered around humans and enabled by new technologies, is that really going to be a, a game-changing development or is it going to be evolution of business as usual? So this is already changing the way a lot of systems are being run. There, there are states right now in the U.S., for example, in New York State, there is an initiative called the REV, the Reforming the Energy Vision, which is trying to get utilities to allow platforms for consumer engagement. And it's a little bit slow going, but by simply having that available, technologies, innovators are coming into that space and creating really new ways for consumers to interact through blockchain and other technology innovations, other platforms. So I think it is, it is taking place now. Okay. Maybe, Jeroen, you've been with this industry for, for many, many years, and it seems like things are changing faster listening to, to Catherine here. Looking five to ten years into the future, what do you think could really surprise us? I prefer to look a bit longer, but um, I think about the don't knows. Yeah? So what could be the surprises there? Long term, to forecast the demand side long term is not that easy. Of course, we, we know that we go from 7 to 10 billion people. Uh, that is, and there will be a larger middle class. But behavioral change, if you go back, it may, may happen. And that can, of course, impact uh, energy demand. The second don't know is the transport system. All those self-driving cars, will they drive the whole day? Will they drive, huh? so, uh, will they drive in Asia? Will they drive in Africa? Or is this only huh, uh, something for some rich countries? Huh? And how does that impact precisely huh, the demand for transport fuels? The nature of work. Huh? If we work a much more from home basis, we get the urbanization, Maybe over time we get very good public transport, 
Yeah? That may impact. And last but not least, who, who are driving all this yeah, or connecting or making all this electrification possible? Will there be strong utilities who are very proactive to adapt the grids, the electricity grids all the time? Or do we get new bottlenecks there? That are the kind of don't knows that we foresee. And the problem here is of the don't knows, if you don't know the common pathways, how the energy transition will go, then you will see that companies are reluctant to invest because yeah, there is not a shared vision. So maybe eh, I risk too much money. I play it on the safe side, whether that is investing in natural gas or in renewables. But then for the total world demand, there may be underinvestment. Now what then will happen is, then you create a cyclical industry because suddenly prices start to rise because there was not enough investment whilst it's there the demand. Then you get an overreaction of course, all kinds of governments interfere and people think that then prices will stay high forever. And then you create again overcapacity. So I'm afraid that if we don't find this common vision, we create uncertainty and that leads to not enough investment for it to satisfy the demand for energy. Let me follow up on, on that. It sounds like uh, uh, developments in the energy system depends on developments in many parts of the economy in other sectors. Uh, you're also chairing the, um, the community or chairman here in, in Davos who you just met. And Can you say something about what are other industries or other chairman's perspective on the future of energy? And what might be the implications on that for, for the future of energy? I think that uh, in the debate here in Davos is that uh, all industries, they think this is fast or radical technological change. Digitization will affect every industry. But basically digitization always means something for the energy consumption of that particular sector of energy. So, so we talked basically more about automation and digitization and we realize that the energy transition is going on uh, and then i'm back to my unknowns so we and the best thing for companies is if if you don't know what the future is uh, then you try to make yourself agile and you have a workforce of people uh, who is prepared to retrain themselves all the time when they go along uh, into the future Catherine, you know very well the, the clean tech sector, and we talked a lot about these different technologies and innovations. First of all, do you think innovation is happening fast enough? And if not, what, what can be done about it? And what are some of these new technologies that we should really be looking out for? I think innovation is happening very fast in certain ways. So innovation is happening very fast on the edge of the grid with entrepreneurs, and they are really driving what's happening in the energy sector right now. There's less of an innovation, say, on the utility side in the U.S. than there is on companies, third parties that are coming in, and some of those utilities end up acquiring those third parties, of course, because they are so innovative. But some of the things that Jeroen mentioned also, you know, energy storage, digitization, we don't know what's happening with CCS, you know, how is that going to go? But also the demand side, I've talked about this before, when do the demand, traditional demand and supply sides really become fungible, where the consumer is not just a load, but is a resource and is able to participate fully and provide resources into the whole system? So energy is a system, 
But it's also a system of systems that touches everybody else. As Yoron said, with digitization, energy touches water, it touches food, it touches healthcare, infrastructure, mobility. Uh, chemical manufacturing, all of us are connected in so many different ways in these systems. And if we, we have to have this shared vision to be able to, to really implement changes within these systems of systems. So we talked about a number of, of things here and the World Economic Forum is a platform for uh, public-private collaboration to, to have a tangible impact. Where do you see the, the Forum's platform on energy having the biggest opportunity to, to, to drive towards uh, your vision for the future of energy and perhaps also the role that your council can play in that regard? I think the, the very good thing of, the, of this global council is that, that you look not at uh, next year or one extra subsidy for a too expensive solar cell or something like that, but you take a kind of 30-year view and you try to say this, these are the knowns, these are the unknowns, and uh, we, we and, try then to have an integrated view in your policies. Yeah? Think about this, think about that. So you widen the horizon of the policy makers. And of course, that shows and that helps them to come probably slowly, slowly to a shared vision about common pathways, which stimulates of companies to focus their research uh, and to do more investment. So uh, showing the big long-term picture is very helpful. And sometimes you have to say things very straight. I think an example is that a European trading system for high carbon prices, uh, higher carbon uh, taxation or a trading system for carbon permits is probably more effective yeah, than subsidies on solar panels. Yeah? So we have to get that uh, off the ground with substantial prices for carbon. I, I think that can enhance change. And then basically that creates extra opportunities for companies. Last question then to, to you, Catherine. Do you want to comment on what Jeroen said and, and add your own uh, perspective on how can really an impact be had here? Yes, I think the World Economic Forum is uniquely positioned to really leverage and broker public-private partnerships. It's particularly good at that. And one example of that is the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative that brings together the majors to really think about how do we move forward on climate initiatives. I think the, the World Economic Forum is particularly good at that and at connecting the dots so that we're really able to connect these different systems and make collaborations where where that makes sense and where it, it moves forward with our, co our collective vision. I, I think, honestly, we are only inhibited by our own imaginations. So I, so I think, you know, getting everybody together in a place like Davos, you know, the WEF is able, to, is very well positioned to really move forward with this vision, to create the vision and to move forward with solutions. Thank you very much. And I wish you a good continuation here in Davos. Thank you. That was Espen Melum talking with Catherine Hamilton and Jeroen van der Veer, co-chairs of the Global Future of Council on Energy. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos, and that was all from this week's episode of A Glimpse into the Future. <laughs>